What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Compile Swift podcast or video, depending on which one you're going to be listening to or watching here. We have another special guest with us today, and I'm really excited about this. We've got a whole bunch of exciting topics to talk about. I've got Richard Zarth with me today, and he is a very experienced developer and uh, has built some wonderful tools and some, some wonderful games. Hello, Richard. Thank you for joining us. Please introduce yourself. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for the, the kind introduction, uh, Peter. Uh, like you said, my name is uh, Richard Zarth, and uh, I am a developer for uh, mostly Apple platforms. I've been developing uh, since about 2014 on Apple platforms. Uh, what really got me interested was the inter- uh, introduction of, of Swift at uh, WWDC that year. So uh, when I saw that kind of show up at WWDC that year, uh, it kind of got me interested in Apple platforms um, in, in a different way. I had you know, kind of you know, been telling myself for years uh, it'd be great to uh, to dive into um, you know iPhone development and iPad development, uh, but I just never really quite did. And um, with the introduction of Swift that year, it kind of um, re-sparked my interest because it kind of seemed like a more or less a, a fresh slate. So uh, I kind of saw that new language get announced, and then you know I had dabbled in programming before that, uh, but not really a lot. Uh, but with that, it was kind of a, a newfound light for for me to step in and, and kind of have a you know a way to get into that development without um, without feeling too far behind, I guess, is, is a way to put it. So, um, you know, I kind of, after uh, the keynote, um, a little bit after the keynote, at least, um, I uh, kind of dove into the, the Swift book that uh, Apple had put online and uh, started reading through that and uh, got really interested right away. So uh, this one got me into at least Apple platforms. Uh, like I said, I had, I had done a little bit of programming before that, but not a lot, uh, so nothing serious. Um, but that's what kind of uh, sparked my interest in it. And, and ever since then, I've been, um, you know, really, really involved in the Apple platforms, at least. Um, and since I've, I've backtracked a little bit since then and done uh, some server development as well. And, and, you know, I went back to, to university after that and, and learned, uh, you know, the basics of, of C and C++ and Java and, and all those as well. So um, and then uh, made a career out of it. I actually um, was in a whole different career before that. Um, and did a whole career change into uh, software engineering, um, just based on the, the the announcement of Swift at, at Dub Dub in, in 2014. So mm-hmm. it's been a, a whole life change for me, uh, just just with the one programming <laughs> announcement. So <laughs> the, the one announcement of the programming language, um, and so uh, that's that's my introduction, at least in a nutshell, with uh, Apple platforms. Uh, but I also am a uh, presenter of a uh, or a co-organizer and presenter of a um, kind of a local meetup called um, Underdog Devs Xcoders uh, here in Orlando, Florida, uh, which is where I'm based. Um, and Underdog Devs, I'm also a mentor there, uh, which is an organization uh, which is um, not necessarily only based here in Orlando, but it started here in Orlando, Florida. Uh, and that's a great organization that helps uh, people who are um, who were formerly incarcerated or underprivileged, uh, kind of get into the software engineering world, um, which is which is a great organization that was started um, not very long ago, several years ago, and uh, has been great at kind of um, providing uh, mentorship access and uh, just kind of informational access um, and allowing people to get into this um, this industry, which is which is great. Uh, we could talk about that a little bit more later. Um, oh, well. absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk about that as well. And I can completely relate to the whole Swift announcement and, and sort of the, well, that's the changing in my world because that's exactly what happened to me. I, I was a developer on other stuff 
and then this thing called Swift got announced and it clicked in my brain so much more than the technologies beforehand, Objective-C and, and also the tools that we had back then. I realized it's like, you know what? I can do this. <laughs> and, and so, yes, that was for me was like, okay, mobile is, is now my thing and has been ever since. So I, I can totally understand and relate to that. Oh, I was, I was saying what was strange is that I, you know, I had, I, you know, um, and an iPhone early on, I had an iPhone uh, starting in 2008. So I didn't get the original iPhone, but ever, ever mm-hmm. since the 3G, I had had one. And so I, you know, ever since then, I had watched, um, you know, all the, the keynotes and, and whatnot, um, you know, from Apple, um, you know, starting with, uh, you know, some of the Macworld stuff. And, and it was very abnormal, uh, you know, for a while for Apple to announce a lot of developer-focused stuff in the keynotes, you know. And, and some of the videos they had announced, you know, obviously um, more developer-focused, but not a lot of the keynotes and whatnot that was you know, somewhat more consumer focused, um, even at, at DubDub. Um, so when they had announced uh, Swift at the, the keynote itself, it was it seemed a little extra special, like something I should maybe pay attention to because um, yeah. having something more developer in that kind of video stream seemed a little strange, right? Yeah, yeah. What it was, and and I had that similar feeling when it was so upfront and right there, and and they made it. You know how Apple does with their their keynotes and the they make it feel like, okay, this is the big thing we want to tell you about, really, you know, and we got other stuff. Um, that's That sort of dawned on me right there. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny because even though, you know, at that time I wasn't doing mobile development as a, as a career, um, even while the keynote was going on, I, I tell people, it's like I immediately ran out and registered like the compileswift.com domain while the keynote was going on. Because I just felt like this is a thing and I need to get that before somebody else does, you know, by the end of the keynote. And then from then on in, even through those early years, it was, well, this is painful, but I still feel this is the thing. Something special about it. And I, I feel like with Swift UI, that, that's another one as well, right, is there's just something about it that says this this is the game changer for, for those platforms. Yeah, I I definitely remember the early days of Swift with, mm. with um, you know, going from Swift 1 to 2 uh, felt like almost a whole new language. Uh, I was yep. just talking to a buddy of mine the other day, uh, recalling when Swift 1 used to have C-style for loops. And that seems like a, a very far distant <laughs> past now, right? <laughs> with the yep. modern Swift, uh, C-style for loops seem uh, almost incomprehensible, right? <laughs> um, yep. And then Swift 2 to 3 was another, you know, huge amount of breaking changes. And it wasn't until we got into Swift 3 that, you know, it's now a more recognizable language compared to, you know, the modern, you know, you know Swift 5 that mm-hmm. we have now. Um, and, you know, it was rough in the beginning, right? But I think the, I think having those breaking changes early on uh, really helped mold the language that we have now. And, um, you know, I kind of, like you said, I kind of feel like Swift UI is, is kind of on that same path, right? You know, we have some, some rough changes um, in some of the early Swift UI uh, APIs. Um, and, you know, technically they're all backwards compatible, but I think, you know, some big changes, you know, for instance, like the navigation API changes, right? Um, you know, we've mm-hmm. seen navigation stack, uh, essentially, uh, we've seen navigation view completely deprecated, right, in favor of navigation stack. And that's a pretty big change uh, for yeah. a lot of apps. But... Think overall, navigation stack is, is a better way to go, and so I'd rather see that that change happen now than five or six years from now when it's it's a little bit too hard to make that change. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I recently started using Navigation Stack in something I'm working on, and uh, it turned out uh, I did it even worse. I did it on a live stream, so I, I was like <laughs> messing it up in public, but it's fine. We were having fun with it, but it, it was the realization of, oh, okay, I'm using it, but I'm actually doing this entirely wrong because I'm basing it on things I already knew, and I need to throw that out the window and start again. But that's fine. I mean, that's... You know, if that's what we have to do, like you say, the early years of Swift, uh, one, two, and, and into three was practically a, well, time to rewrite the entire app again. Uh, but we sort of knew going in, and and I feel like I still am happy that Apple did it that way. I would not have wanted to wait another three years for version three to become the first version, right? It's like, yeah, you know, let's let's rip the Band-Aid off. Let's start getting used to this. We, you know, you're going in, you accept this is new technology, it's going to change. Um, but at least I'm getting some of the concepts across or, or, or understanding in the language. And though the syntax may change, the way we do it may change, but the, the ideas and the philosophy were there and, and I can start adapting my brain to it. And I also think, too, if, if Apple doesn't get it out there at some point um, without people using it in the wild, uh, the evolution can't happen regardless, right? Even if Apple waited mm -hmm. three years um, and just released um, you know, three years later, I still think without getting into people's hands and getting feedback and getting things that don't work, um, you know, we still would have to wait three years beyond that before we got to uh, kind of a, an API that felt uh, a little bit more natural, a little bit more right. Um, so at some point they have to release something. I think the, the biggest difference is, 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 is Apple's afraid to put the, the word beta on things sometimes yeah. right so when right. we see when we see kind of the google alternative of things like um you know google will they'll release something um you know like jetpack compose which is kind of like their version of, of swift ui more or less but uh, they release that in alpha first uh for quite a while actually and then they'll release it in beta again for quite a while and then they'll release version 1.0 mm -hmm. um and apple just doesn't do that right and apple says well here's swift ui and it's version one and yes, you can ship it in apps. And yes, we promise you this is this is something that we consider stable. Um, and yeah. then developers start to use it in the wild and they say, is this ready for production, right? And we'll ask that question for five years. Uh, <laughs> and, so, um, and that's just the difference in Apple platforms. Well, and I think with, you know, with Apple too, um, you know, compared to say like the, the approach Google takes, I and, and I may be completely wrong on this. This is just my interpretation. Um, with Apple, they they know that they have to do these things because they're really more about driving it in for the hardware, right? And 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 the products that they have planned. And that's not to say that Google doesn't have hardware, but I think when it comes down to it, at least the way I see it, you know. Google is about driving the software, that's their thing. Apple is about the hardware, and they have to make software to drive the hardware, right? Um, and that's without getting, you know, we can get into that, you know, there's that whole sideline about, you know, well, the developer tools and how good are they and everything else. But at the end of the day, that's, that's really, I think, you know, Apple is a hardware company, right? And they have to make software mm -hmm. to go on the hardware. Google is a software company, who happens to have some hardware? And so I think that Apple's approach has to be, we got to get this out here now because we want to ship next year's whatever device, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. 
All right, so let's let's get into this here. Uh, I want to want to talk about uh, something that you released recently and, and caught my eye. And you know, this is uh, the really simple arcade. And we're for everybody, we'll put links in the show notes for everything on this. But what I love about this, and and and, and part of the reason I was like, oh, I, I got to get Richard on here, is because you maybe it's my age, I don't know, but. Um, it it's more aimed at, that it has some of those classic lovable games that that we all know and love. If you're a you know certain age or older or, or however you want to put it, you know, like for example, I think when I reached out to you, I was like, oh, it's got Simon in there, you know, which I remember as a kid playing with the hardware, and and great that I can now have it on the phone. So you want to talk to us, um, you know, sort of dive into that why you. You wanted to make this, uh, uh, put this arcade out there, and some thoughts behind it, challenges. And I know, um, you know, something you to touch on here is, is uh, you know, putting things out there early. Time for a break. Hey, everybody, it's Peter Whittam here from the Compulsory Podcast. I'm going to tell you about Setup. Setup is a service that provides a subscription fee of just ten dollars a month. And you get access to over 200 Mac applications. And it's also available now on iOS as part of that deal. I use the service because it just has a ton of really good first-rate apps that I use all the time. And for me, it's invaluable as a developer to have access to tools for things like APIs, for planning projects, uh, writing emails, writing documentation. And you get all of these things, including database apps, all of that kind of stuff, right there on the setup service for just $10 a month. You can use as many or as few applications as you need. If you're interested in checking this out, go to peterwidham.com, P-E-T-E-R-W-I-T-H-A-M.com forward slash setapp, S-E-T-A-P-P. And you can see the details there, and it's got a link that you can go over and start using the service and see how it works out for you. I strongly recommend this to every Mac user. Break time over. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, you know, I had a, you know, a, like I said earlier, um, you know, I've, I've been part of uh, what was previously called IRS Orlando, which was a small meetup here in, in Orlando. Um, and it was it was later renamed to, to um, Underdog Devs Xcoders. Um, we kind of partnered with Underdog Devs as they became a little bit bigger here in Orlando. Um, and uh, so, you know, I had this small meetup, and, and you know, I, I present quite a bit at this meetup. But uh, as part of this, you know, you know, building presentations is obviously a, a big part. Um, and so, you know, it's pretty common that when I'm you know trying to to relay certain topics, um, you know, these presentations sometimes can actually get uh, pre-involved. And so I did a presentation, you know, several months ago where I was, you know, describing some of the, the Swift UI layout system. Um, mm -hmm. And so as part of this, you know, and describing how different stacks work and how you can update stacks and, and, and you know, or update views and, you know, from different views and things like that, uh, I ended up building a, a tic-tac-toe demo. Um, and so I had this tic-tac-toe demo and, and, and whatnot. And so I kind of you know, presented this, I built out some of the views in real time. And, and at the end of the day, you had tic-tac-toe and it had some some game logic and it would not. And so that was built out. It was on my GitHub. And then it kind of, you know, just kind of goes to the graveyard. Um, and then I had a different demo, you know, a couple months after that. And it was about how can you use Swift concurrency in Swift UI? How can you get the two to mold together, right? Swift UI is really backed by combine under the hood. Um, but with uh, some of the later API changes in, uh, that were announced at WWDC, 
Uh, Swift concurrency is a little bit easier to use in Swift UI, uh, such as the, the dot task modifier. Um, and so how, do, how can you get that to work a little bit better with Swift concurrency? So I did a demo and I got, you know, some things, you know, looking a little better. And, and so out of that came Simon Sets, right? So you get the Simon demo and I, I do a presentation with that. And how do you get that working? The whole thing works off async await and, and things like that. And did that presentation, I do all that, and then it's on my GitHub, and then it kind of goes to the graveyard, right? Um, sitting on my GitHub, and it's like, well, I, you know, I kind of put a little bit of extra time into that, right? The, for instance, like the sounds and, and the Simon Says game, uh, those are actually um, kind of done live with uh, uh, AV Foundation, right? Those aren't sound files. Those are actually oh, rendered live okay. using kind of uh, AV Foundation and using the, the correct sounds. Um, you know, I even looked up the original Simon game and, and what... Uh, what notes do they use, um, you know, to kind of make that, that harmonic sound, uh, you know, sound a little better. That happens. And uh, so I kind of thought about it uh, a little bit late last year, um, you know, for, for a weekend. And I was, you know, sitting there and I'm, I, I want to, how can I get these to do something more than just kind of die in GitHub, right? <laughs> so yeah. I said, yeah. well, yeah, I could actually kind of put these together probably and, and put them as, as a single app store release. And so uh, one night I was actually, uh, you know, hanging out with, with my, my uh, kids and uh, they came out, uh, they came up with a, a silly app idea. And that was an app um, idea that eventually became uh, million to one. And, and what the app idea was, it kind of started off kind of silly, but they were trying to kind of uh, conceptualize uh, a million, the, the, the number a million, how many, how many is that really? Mm -hmm. um, and so <laughs> we were messing around with, with Swift a little bit, Swift Playgrounds, and you know, they wanted to print out uh, kind of a, a emoji character. So they printed out a banana and then 10 and then 100. And again, they said, well, <laughs> how about a million? And so we did, we did, we printed out a million bananas and they still don't think really kind of conceptually understood how many that was. And so, I said, well, this is a lot, right? It's actually going to take a while even to print this out to the to the console and playgrounds. Um, and I said, to really understand how much this is, you could hide something in the million and you'd see how hard it is to find that one hidden emoji in the million. And so we modified the code a little bit and they chose an orange because an orange is so not a banana, right? <laughs> it's, 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 right. It's, it would really stick out like a sore thumb in a, in a, in a sea of bananas. Um, and so we did that. And then uh, later that night after they had gone to bed, I kind of turned that idea that was just like living in, in like a, a single string in a playground uh, and turned it into like an actual iOS app where it would, you could scroll through in a collection view, a, a, a ton of bananas and in there would be a hidden orange. Um, and so that was kind of a game. And I said, well, if I, if I put this together with Simon and Tic-Tac-Toe, maybe that could be an app idea, right? It would be kind of like a little arcade collection. And my, and my son wanted to add Snake in there as well. So, so I built out Snake um, and Snake uses uh, Combine and, and Swift UI. It doesn't use like a game engine proper. It just uses uh, Swift UI. Okay. And so with those four games together, well then, then there's really, really simple arcade, right? Um, and, and so that's just how, how it all came to be. Uh, it's really just a collection of demos that I, I said, well, together these can be an app where individually they're probably just not enough to live on their own. Um, and that's kind of how it came to be. It kind of came out as a New Year's resolution to, to actually release this thing instead of just having it, um, instead of, you know, just having it, you know, kind of live in development hell. Because I've, I've done that uh, many times. I've got a ton of apps that I've started and, and either, you know, started and, and worked really hard on for, for two or three days and said, eh, I don't know, I'm kind of bored of it now. 
or I've gotten to 90% completion and, and just didn't get the last 10%. So I said, I'm actually going to release this one early, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. I know I'm going to have bugs. I know it's going to be incomplete, but I'm going to get that 1.0 out there. Um, and so I only took about a, a week of polishing to get this done. Um, now, granted that, you know, week of polishing, I had Simon almost completely done and tic-tac-toe almost completely done, right? They were, I mean, almost just copy and pasted from my, from my GitHub already. Um, and so I, I was able to use Swift packages to really um, speed up the process. The actual app itself, really simple arcade, uh, is only only about three or four different files. Um, so, uh, you know, there's that. And then everything else is just uh, separate packages. So like Simon is its own Swift package and Tic-Tac-Toe is its own Swift package. Um, and then re- really simple arcade is just the application file itself and, and the, the app icon and, and things like that. And it, it just, everything else goes out to its its own package, um, which was something I wanted to do to ensure that I could add new games by just adding a package and, and being done with it. Um, and and then version one shift and, and, it, and it had bugs that I knew about. Um, and so because of that, I, I'm actually using GitHub issues to kind of track those. Um, okay. Because I said, you know, I'm going to ship it. And if it has bugs, that's okay. I'm going to know about them. I'm going to write them down and I'll come back and fix them. Um, and it seemed like, extra overhead to, to make like, you know, proper GitHub issues for that. Um, even though it's a private repo, and I'm the only one that's ever going to look at it. Um, but I said, I'd rather write them down and deal with them later and ship now. Uh, and I've, I've since yeah. shipped, I think three different updates for the, for the game. Um, but it's kind of helped me, you know, kind of ship early and, and think of it as a, like a regular um, kind of like day job app to, to kind of ship yeah. it out um, and, and actually get it out there um, opposed to, Oh, well, once it's perfect, I'll ship it. Um, and then, I mean, it's never going to happen. And so it's never going to ship. Uh, so, yep. <laughs> um, and that's, and that's essentially the, the, the whole pitch for, for really simple arcade. No, that, that's great. And, you know, cause a few of the things that you mentioned there, are sort of a, some of the, the things that I say to, to, to listeners and, and, and viewers, which is, you know, don't, don't wait for that perfect because it's never going to ship. And I, I sort of been through this myself. And, you know, sometimes you've got to draw that line in the sand that says, okay, you know, it's, it's not exactly what I want, but then it'll never be exactly what I want because I'll always want new things. But I know that it's, it's and, and I, you know, when I say good enough, I don't mean that to say like, you know, oh, it's good enough as in, it's not bad, but it's okay. But it's it's truly that thing of I've lived with something for months now. I know it better than anybody else, and therefore I've you know I I've known all the little things, right? And probably most people are never going to notice those, and therefore it is more than good enough for the majority of folks that that are going to download and and play things or, or use an app. And I think. Mm-hmm. You know, especially with games, because, you know, with apps, you, you tend to look at them longer. You're interacting with them more in the sense of you're really paying attention to the details. But if you think of something like with a game, right, like let's take, you know, Snake, for example, right? There's something always moving on the screen. You're, you're, you're always having to be focused on that thing and you're interacting with it. So, for example, if the highest score is slightly misaligned that's fine because that's not the thing people are looking at most of the time 
it's going to bug you as the developer because you know it's there and, and, and we all know how we obsess about these things. But mm -hmm. when it comes to it's good enough, it is always... I, I think when we say to ourselves it's good enough, in reality we know it is way more than good enough for the 95% of the, the users, the players out there. And that that interests me, especially about this this shipping early, because I think that that's important too. It, you know, for me, there's that extra factor, which is, you know, ship early, find out if you've got something here, or or maybe you don't, and you need that that tough love from the app store to tell you, leave it, move on, you know, or, or rethink yeah. it. Um, does any of that sort of play into those decisions of when you feel it's ready? Yeah, oh, for sure. And so I've, you know, I've got currently three apps on the app store, and and every time that I've I've actually ended up shipping is when I've had to sit down and tell myself it's time, right? Like mm -hmm. stop doing the tweaks and stop doing this and, and ship it. And, and one thing is, you know, I remember back, um, you know, I've, I've used uh, computers for a long time. You know, I, I come from, you know, a family where my father's done IT for a living my whole life. Um, you know, so I come from a time where I, I very clearly remember where, you know, you know, software shipped on, on CDs and, and, and floppies before that. And so mm -hmm. I think sometimes I have it in my head where, you know, I, it's got to be perfect before I ship it. And then I have to really talk myself down from that and say, no, 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 ship it. And guess what? If I want to release an update to, to tweak this thing, I can do that and ship it. And I know the mass majority of users have auto updates turned on, mm -hmm. right? Or if I ship this as an update, a very large portion of users will never even have the opportunity to download version 1.0, right? So, you know, I just have to convince myself saying, no, 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 it's okay. I can, I can fix this. And it's not going to be that, you know, X amount of users got shipped a CD and they'll never get the update, right? right. <laughs> it's going to be right. okay. <laughs> but it really is kind of that, um, you know, that mentality that you kind of have to snap out of, of, no, no, it's okay. Like this can be updated and fixed. And then, like you said, a lot of times those small issues are ones that, you know, the mass majority of users won't even obsess over the same way that, that, that you as the developer might. Um, and so sometimes it's better to have it in people's hands than not. Um, and I've had, uh, you know, apps that I've shipped that, that people, um, you realize that there are no downloads for, right? So maybe, yep. you know, sinking those extra, you know, hours into, um, it's, there's no benefit to that, right? Because uh, you weren't going to have any users anyway. I've got an app on the app store, the, the watch app store right now that, you know, it was a weekend project. I did it in about two days. It was a super quick one that, that solved the problem that I had. Um, I shipped it. It's a counter app. Like, it, you know, counts up, you know, essentially. Okay. Um, and, and, and it solved the problem that I had on the watch because I couldn't find a simple, you know, counter app on the on the watch. Solved a, a niche problem I had. Um, but it turns out most other people must not have this problem on the watch. Um, you know, either there's other watch apps out there that they, that they, they do solve this problem that I couldn't find or... Uh, they're just not, you know, using a counter on their watch, um, and that's fine. Right. Um, it's had very little sales in, in its lifetime, and uh, and that's fine. Um, and so I don't continue sinking time into it, even though there's a lot of features I would add. Um, it's just it doesn't have the sales to justify sinking the time into it, and um, and that's fine. What, what's nice is I shipped it early on purpose. It was about a two-day project, um, and it's the sales have said, you know what, don't continue sinking time into this because I've got other things I could I could use that time for. Sure. So, Sure. And I think as well, you know, that that's interesting because that touches on another interesting area that I think it's easy for us to 
to get ourselves in in I don't want to say the wrong mindset, but a mindset where we 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 mislead ourselves, right? Because there is, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think there's sometimes I know folks that I I talk to and, and they drop by my live stream, and there's always folks who are like, hey, I want to get into this, and how do I start? And how do I what do I do this? And then that inevitably leads to the the next question, which comes up, which is always slightly funny to me when someone says, "Well, what app do you you know what what apps do you think I should build?" And and I always say it's like, well, if I if I can answer that question for you, I would go build them and put them in the store myself. And 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, so I always give the, the sort of a more sensible answer. I feel, which is, well, is there an app that you need? Right? Not everything mm-hmm. you build has to be for someone else and and everything that i've worked on started as something i needed and then i said would someone else benefit from this you have to love what you build and that's why i love when you were saying about the arcade the fact that it started out as a few uh presentations that became something and then uh something that working on with with kids who you know you get more excitement from seeing the kids get excited about something and then and then mm-hmm. working on that and and so it also becomes a family thing and you know it's all of those benefits that to me are far more important than you know how how much money did i make on the store how many downloads did i get yes yeah. we all want to see downloads but that that shouldn't be the primary driver for, because you, I, I don't think you'll make an application that you truly are passionate about if you have some statistic that you feel you've got to meet, you know? Yeah, exactly. It, it, and, you know, of course, everything is different um, depending on you know, what your end goal is, right? Uh, you know, if you're a business and, and this is your primary driver, right? Well, then you're going to have different, um, you know, different numbers that you're looking at, right? Because yeah. well, you've got you've to sustain the business, right? Mm-hmm. Um for an indie app developer, right? Like kind of the, the situation you're talking about, um, it really does have to be uh, something you're really passionate about because otherwise it's going to be really difficult to, um, to to kind of sustain what you're doing otherwise. Um, you know, if you're an indie app developer and that's what you're doing kind of full time, well then you really do have to, to look at, um, you know, some statistics to, to you know, to really uh, determine what you're going to put the, the mass majority of your time into. And, and you might have different metrics that you're going by, you know, based on that. But, um, you know, I don't have any of my apps in, in the app store that are there, you know, to, to really crush the numbers, right? But my, my best, yeah. um, you know, not selling, but my best downloading app, uh, downloaded app right now in the app store, it's, it's, it's a free app, right? There's no in-app purchases. There's no ads. There's no, you know, it's a, it's a completely free app. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't really plan to make it a paid app or anything like that. Um, so, and, and that was another, you know, it's a, a, a niche app that I had put in there just for my own, uh, benefit. You know, I was, I'm, I'm a Pokemon fan and, and I was playing the Pokemon games. I'm like, I, I have a lot of trouble remembering all the different, you know, these two types, are they, you know, good against these two types? And then, and so how do I do that? That gets complicated. And I have a watch app that now I can, you know, tap these two types and it'll tell me, is it effective against these two types or, or, or this type, you know? And, and so... And that's an app that I, I built again in a couple of days and, and it's, you know, it's been my best, you know, my most downloaded app in the app store. And, and so, you know, I think, you know, that's great. I put time into to fixing that app uh, quite a bit, adding new features, um, mainly just because uh, it, it, you know, hits a, a market that obviously people like because it, it gets a good amount of downloads and a good amount of uh, engagement based on the, the app store numbers. 
Well, and you know, I saw that app in there, and uh, I, I was fascinated by this. And and what fascinated me about it was it, it's a style of app on the watch that I had never thought of. But what, but the fact that it is something so very different from all of the other watch apps that we see that usually fall into sort of similar categories. What struck me was, yeah, you know what? This watch app as a companion app, fantastic. And never seen anything else like it. So, so you know, I thought that was great. And I can also see why people would like it and people would use it because it, mm -hmm. it is perfect, right? I've got my phone and I've got this, this watch app that I can use as my sort of reference more than anything i guess um and and it sits comfortably on there and and from what i saw you know looking at the screenshots and everything it looked very usable so i liked yeah. that it was i felt unique compared to anything I, i'd seen before yeah that, that spawned out of the idea that um you know i play a lot of the the pokemon games on the you know on the, on the switch or on the, the game boys and whatnot um and you know when you have you know that that console you don't always want to take out your phone um, and you know, I don't, I don't play Pokemon Go a lot, but I, I've, I've got a buddy who does. And, and he, when I was, when I was talking about, um, it would be nice to have this, you know, more accessible. He, he was, you know, used, used to play Pokemon Go quite a bit. Um, and the idea of having to switch to an app to do this type check and switch back didn't seem very ergonomic, you know, from a, from a game play standpoint. Um, and so that's where kind of the watch idea spawned from and it'd be nice well it'd be nice if you had it on your watch right yeah. um it's it's you know the, the kind of the idea of, of having a watch app is that you want kind of short interactions right they're just easy to see and easy to to interact with and um that's where the idea for a watch app came from because it is kind of difficult to think about um ideas for watch apps uh early on in the in the, in the apple watch um kind of you know life cycle um a lot of apps were rushing to hit the the watch os you know kind of app store um before it was even its own standalone app store like a lot of you know a lot of mm -hmm. iphone apps were saying well we need a watch app companion app to, to go with it um and, and now since then a lot of those apps have have not been maintained anymore and they've eventually fallen you know off the the watch and, and they don't have watch companion apps anymore um because it turned out that a lot of iPhone apps don't actually need watch apps, right? Because um, you know, it's, it's not always fun to, to be doing this yeah, all the time, yeah. <laughs> it turns out, right? Uh, <laughs> again, and Apple has stressed this from the beginning, uh, you want watch apps to be one of two things. Uh, glanceable, right? Glanceable information, um, which are really great for complications, um, or complications are really great at doing that. Um, or you want watch apps to be very quick interactions, right? You don't mm -hmm. want them to be more than normally a couple of seconds, right? You don't want to be staring at your watch for minutes at a time trying to do something. That's just not fun. Um, yep. you know, you normally want that to be seconds at a time. You want your phone to be minutes at a time. And if you want things to be longer than that, well, now you're getting into the realm of Mac apps or maybe TVOS apps. Um, and so that's hard to do though. Right. That seemed like something easy to translate early on. And, and, and that was, I think, the fault of, of um, a lot of app developers in the beginning, um, probably probably more product developers in the beginning, <laughs> project <laughs> managers in the beginning. 
I want to just blame yeah. developers. They're those um, who won't be but, named, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, no, right. <laughs> um, but that was that was actually probably the, the issue early on is, is people wanted to just kind of rush to the to the watch app store uh, to kind of you know hit the gold mine that was like the early iPhone app store, and, and it turned out actually that wasn't really the case because it's actually hard to, to get um, monetization from the watch. Um, and when I thought of this idea, I thought, well, that would actually be a, a good glanceable or or short interaction um and so it's actually done really well it's got several thousand downloads and and you know it's again it's not making me any money but uh i just thought it's a it's a cool idea i use it uh, pretty often when i play the games and um and that's why i keep maintaining it and i've got a long laundry list of, of ideas that i could do to, to add more to it and, and have more you know um things and I, I i always fight myself with well i could add this right i can add a, a whole list of pokemon you can choose from instead of doing the types yourself, but uh, do you want to yeah. scroll through a list of over a thousand Pokemon instead of tapping two types, right? Like that's probably not what you really want to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it's, I'm always fighting myself with what I want to add versus what I think will actually be, again, that short interaction. I want to tell you about DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a hosting company that I use for a lot of my projects. And I'm going to tell you, rather than just the usual thing that you hear on adverts, I'm going to tell you exactly how I use it. It is so simple to set up. You just log in and I can set up very quickly with a few clicks, whatever kind of instance I need on a server with whatever OS or pre-installed apps. I'm going to give you a perfect example here. It is so easy to set up Swift on the server-side Vapor. And I did that recently and it, it was painless. You know, I went in there and I set it up. And before you knew it, my Swift app, I was bouncing off the APIs that I had created on the server side and testing everything that I needed to be tested. But you don't have to use it for projects just like that. You can really use it to host anything you want for any length of time because you're really only paying for the resources as you use them. You're not paying ahead. And they have 14 globally distributed data centers and 99.99% uptime I'll put a link in the show notes, but you can go to peterweedham.com forward slash D-O-C-E-A-N. That's D-O-C-E-A-N. And that'll give you some free credits to get started with. I was going to shift here and, and actually conveniently you, you mentioned SwiftUI because I was going to ask you, I know that you mentioned to me, you know, before, we were talking before the show and that uh, about SwiftUI and uh, other other areas like you know for example vapor that, that mixes in with swift and and those go right hand well certainly vapor goes right there with open source and i know that you mentioned mm -hmm. that open source was something that you you wanted to get I, I maybe i'm using the wrong words here get into more this year or maybe focus on a little more i know from like my experiences i've taken part in the, you know the hackathons that uh, things like DigitalOcean and, and things like that have done before, and those are always a lot of fun. But I always feel like I'm never, you know, that, that thing of like, oh, I should do more open source. But then I also have that, that you know, we'll, we'll get there, right? Oh, but am I good enough? Or, or you see something and you're like, I think I know the answer, but I don't want to embarrass myself by putting it out there. From an open source perspective, have you set yourself some goals this year to sort of try and reach or... Or just sort of say, hey, I want to be more involved and give back to communities on, on the code side, that kind of thing. Yeah. So one thing is, um, you know, I've done I've done some open source stuff in the past. Uh, and, you know, 
everything from as small as doing, uh, you know, pull request on some existing open source projects to, um, you know, I had some open source involvement in um, different projects in the past. Uh, you know, for instance, there's a, a Mac editor called She Editor, which I think is actually kind of, um, you know, kind of gone by the wayside a little bit uh, for, for various reasons, but some di different things like that. Um, so, you know, I've got different involvement, uh, different extents, and I've got some some couple open source projects right now that are that are really small, right? I don't do anything with them except for kind of put them out there, and you know, they've got you know some single digit stars right now, um, which we all know is the the really cold hard cash in the GitHub world. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've I've got those out there right now, and and you know, I've got a lot of projects right now that um, you know a, a lot of the um, kind of a lot of the core of them right now could, could easily be open source, right? A lot of them, you know, they don't, um, they don't have the, the actual app itself revolving around it. So a lot of it could, the engine part of it could be taken out and open sourced. Um, I started, uh, you know, probably about four or five months ago with a lot of my own projects started really, um, diving more into Swift package manager as a way to, um, kind of break out my my own code bases into more of uh, here's a UI package and here's a, you know, model package and here's, you know, a, a package for, you know, maybe databasing and, and things like that. Um, so I've, I've been doing that kind of separation with my own, um, my own kind of projects more recently, um, based a little bit kind of modeling, um, you know, much smaller scale, but kind of modeling after, you know, some, some stuff we've been doing at kind of the, the day job. And it's been working out really well. I really like that. Uh, like I said, that's kind of how I built Really Simple Arcade um, to an extent, right? So Really Simple Arcade, the app itself is really just the, the bare bones, uh, you know, app file with the, the very basic assets. Um, everything else is um, broken out. Even the, the actual UI for the application itself, uh, where you get to the settings menu, uh, where you get, you know, you see the actual view with the four tiles of the app. Even that is its own Swift package. Um, and each individual game is its own Swift package. And so I've really been trying to break things out kind of in this way, um, you know, for, for a handful of reasons, right? For architectural reasons, for reusability reasons, for things like that. Um, so I would like to take some of the work I've done um, and, and start open sourcing some of those things, uh, even if they're just, you know, relatively basic. Um, and I've done this kind of in the past, um, but not as focused. So I have an open source package. Uh, that I call RZ extensions. Um, and I, I have that imported in almost all of my own packages. It's actually the reason I made it open source to begin with was out of, out of pure laziness, right? I open sourced it so I could import it into all of my own packages without having to worry about you know, GitHub credentials and stuff like that. Um, That's a good I idea. sourced it, I could just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a lazy way to import it into all of my own packages or all of my own projects. Um, and then it has all the the kind of reusable extensions that I kind of inevitably end up writing to for all of my own projects, right? I'm going to end up writing this same method, or I'm going to end up writing this same, you know, um, you know, extension on this, on this, uh, you know, property or something like that. Um, so I said, well, if I just kind of throw this uh, into uh, an open source GitHub repository, well, then I can just, every time I start a new project, I can just go ahead and add this as a dependency through Swift Package Manager. And then, boom, I've got access to this instead of having to copy and paste this code or have to, and as a local dependency, which is always a little wonky in, in, in Squid Package Manager and things like that. Um, and so it just kind of made it a little easier for me. And if I add something to it, well, then I can just update the dependency on my project and I've got my version without having to worry about which do I have this extension on this version or do I have that extension on this project? And I don't have to worry about that. I can just update the repository. 
Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm done. Um, so I started doing that. Um, and I would like to start doing that on some of my uh, a little bit more focused um, open source work or stuff that I would like to make open source, a little bit more focused packages, I, I guess I should say. And, uh, you know, for instance, like a, a file database manager, you know, I've got that in a couple of my different projects, you know, where it just, you know, it takes a codable objects and writes it to disk and then reads it from disk. And I've got that code in, in three or four of my projects at least. And I've updated most recently for uh, Swift concurrency. So now it works with async await and I've got a version of it that works with combine. And I mean, I could easily take that, package it up, make it, you know, where it works with, you know, closures, uh, you know, async await and combine. And then there's a, a Swift package, right? It's super small. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do anything super special. I'm sure other people have that same code written, but it would be nice if it was just an open source package and things like that. So um, I would like to start doing that kind of stuff a little bit more focused and then getting more into the, the open source um, kind of community and, and things like that. So um, that's another one of my kind of like uh, developer New Year's resolutions, right? So nice. at least early nice. in, in open source work, right? So <laughs> Yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's great. You know, and, and thank you for doing that. I think, you know, I I think it's great anytime anybody, you know, takes this approach of, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna put some stuff out there. Um, you know, it's useful to me, maybe useful to other folks, or you you're using somebody else's packages, somebody else's tools, and and you find some way that you can help them move forward with it. Um, you know, I think that's great because I think that's that's more of what we need and certainly feels that we're moving more in those directions. But do you have any tips for folks as to here's a good way or, or you know, sort of like here's how I've done it, how I license things and, you know, are your licensing sort of one of those take it, do what you want. And if it's been helpful, great. Just just let me know, you know. Yeah, my so my my suggestion is definitely start small. Um you know, there's definitely people who want to, you know, do an open source project and, and make it very large, right? Whether or not that be, here's an entire application and now you can, here it is, it's open source. Um, and maybe it's a, it's a very loose license. So you could literally take it and then put your own uh, name on it and then release it in the app store. And then like you said, oh no, and now they're making all this money and I don't get any credit and that, that sucks. Um, or you can have this thing where you, you make a, a, a pretty large library and then you make that open source. And then all of a sudden you have, uh, you know, 10 GitHub issues flowing in a day. And you're like, oh, no, I didn't sign up for trying to fix all these problems. <laughs> I'm not I'm not your IT support. And I'm sorry that it's breaking in your production app. But that's not my fault because I, I didn't sign up to be IT support. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's right. So my my uh, my recommendation starts small. Um, I don't have any open source libraries out there that are like really large. Um, and I don't really intend to do that anytime soon. Um, you know, I have uh, a lot of my presentations are open source uh, and, and they're open source, uh, mostly out of necessity for, hey, I'm giving this presentation, uh, go to my GitHub and, and you can download it and follow along if you want. And a lot of times I'll have like the, here's the starter version, here's the final version. Um, I, I guess you could presumably take that and, and release one in the App Store if you really wanted to, but it, it's tic-tac-toe, I, you know, I don't know, right? <laughs> Good luck yeah. getting that through yeah. the App Store review. <laughs> um, and, right, <laughs> Apple probably rejects it for not enough, uh, you know, utility or whatever they call it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think starting off small is, is the big thing. I have a um, an open source library called Shell Process, and it takes the, um, the the process API that Apple has, which is a little wonky to use. Um, it allows you to like call um, 
you know, the, the process API allows you to call um, like um, like console and, and terminal commands. Yes, uh, allows yeah. you to call those and, and then use them on on Mac, for instance. Um, it's kind of a wonky library to use um, or an API to use um, because you have to do things in a very specific way and then passing arguments to it. It's kind of wonky. And then you have to, it's, it's like a, a synchronous API, but it could be asynchronous depending on the, the command that you're calling. And, and so you have to like wait till finish, but you have to do that in a pretty specific way. It's just kind of a wonky API. And so I have it kind of wrapped up in a, in a nice way where you can actually create uh, enums on it and then, you know, pass the names in specifically and then and do things like that. So you can kind of make that API a lot nicer to use. It's very small. It's like a three file open source library. And so you can like, you know, take that and, and, and use it to, if you're, you know, making a, a Mac app, for instance, make it a lot nicer to use that, that terminal command. Um, so Ooh. those are kind of like the, the things that I kind of recommend. Um, is just start small, right? If you if you try to go really grand with your open source, especially from the beginning, um, I think there's a, a good chance that you kind of um, overreach. I, I was I was using Process on a Mac app that um, it was causing me some frustration because of the way it was implemented. So I, I absolutely am going to yeah. look at that library. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was I was saying you know primarily um, you know just uh, I think starting small is the way to go. If you try to get too grand with the the you know what you're trying to release, I think uh, you know it's it's really easy to bite off more than you can chew, right? So um, you know if you if you want to start with open source, start small, um, which is honestly a, a good way to think about uh, you know kind of splitting off your dependencies um, in general with your own applications. Um, so really look at maybe an application that, that you've developed and think about uh, something that you can break off into its own maybe Swift package. And after you've broken that up and, and you know, kind of uh, isolated the dependencies, uh, think about if that's something good that you could, uh, you know, kind of, you know, release out to the open source world. Um, and that's something hopefully that you can easily maintain and then people can contribute to it. And then you can kind of take advantage of those contributions as well in your own application. Realistically, just kind of putting yourself out there. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a great learning experience, um, either from just developing the open source code itself, right? Again, isolating those dependencies, creating that package, learning the process, um, you know, taking any feedback that you get, um, if any, uh, or if you're doing the, the contribution side of things and you're not creating the package. I think diving into a code base that you might not be super familiar with and doing that, you know, that first, you know, open source contribution is a great way to learn. Um, when I am helping mentor people, a lot of times um, that's one of the suggestions I give, especially kind of later in the process of the mentorship is the question I get, well, how can I, you know, how can I you know, boost my resume up? How can I learn this? How can I learn that without creating a whole project myself? Well, find an open source project that, that's doing this, right? Uh, yeah. you know, dive into it a little bit. It's going to be hard, right? Because you're going to have to learn a lot just to kind of understand where to go, but learn a little bit of it trying to find one of the open issues a lot of you know github a, a popular tag is like help wanted or or you know first time you know issue or things like that easy task a lot of those kinds of issue you know tags find one of those deep dive into it some try to find out what the problem is um especially for mentors who have never had a job in the industry before which is a lot of the i'm sorry mentees a lot of the mentees that haven't had a job in the industry before which is the majority of them um that's why they're kind of uh, you know mentee especially you know you know like I said, underdog devs, we have a you know thing we can talk a little bit more about if we if we have time. Um, 
you know, a lot of them haven't been in the industry before. And so it's, it's great for them to kind of get that. And that's kind of the same kind of process that you would go through once you get in the industry. Right. Um, so the same dive into a code base, learn a little bit about it. Uh, how do I fix this bug or how do I implement this small issue? Uh, go ahead and implement that issue or implement or fix that bug. And then go through the whole process of creating a pull request and getting it approved and, and taking feedback and, and things like that. Right. It's a great process to go through. All right, here it is. The one thing that I cannot do without every day, and that is my coffee. Anyone that knows me or anyone that's listened to any of my podcasts or anything else knows that I absolutely cannot operate without my coffee, and I love good coffee. So here's the deal. I'm going to give you one free bag of coffee by going to peterwidham.com forward slash coffee. There is a wonderful company out there that follows the fair trade practices helps out a lot of independent roasters of all sizes, and the operation is simple. What you do is you're going to go to, to peterwidham.com forward slash coffee. You sign up there. You get a free bag of coffee sent to you. Yes, in return, they say thank you to me by giving me some coffee, but that's not the reason I'm doing this. The reason I'm doing this is because I have found so many good coffees that I just would never have come across heard about or experienced without this service trade coffee is, is just fantastic uh, you know there are plenty of places out there we all know them that supply coffee good coffee you can go to the store get the coffee but there is nothing better than discovering new independent roasters and supporting them discovering new flavors of coffee new grinds for you can set it up it's very smart you tell it the kind of coffee you like and over time, it gets better and better as it trains in on your selections and your choices and gives you exactly the coffee you're looking for and recommending new ones that, that will be very similar. Every time I get a new packet of coffee, I go through and afterwards I try the coffee. I go through the service and I say, look, I loved this coffee. I thought this coffee was OK. Or I say, look, I've, this was really not for me. And every time I do that, it makes the service a little more accurate on the next selection for me. So again, just go to peterwidham.com forward slash coffee. Get your free bag of coffee today. If you're a coffee lover, you're going to really appreciate this service. I have been using it for years at this point and thoroughly recommend it. So to us, you know, tell me more about the, the underdog devs, because this, you know, you and I, when we were talking and, and setting up, you know, to, to do this recording, this, this caught my, caught my ear and is something that I, I'm a big advocate for. And I think this sounds fantastic. So let's make sure let's, let's dive into it here and tell the, the listeners or the viewers, um, you know, a little bit more about the underdog devs and, and, you know, where they can find it and, and the ideas behind the project. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mentioned a little bit early on, uh, so underdog devs, it is an organization. Um, they've been around for a couple of years. Um, I've been a part of it since the start. Um, and, you know, they got websites, got some more information. Uh, it's underdogdevs.org. Um, and so essentially this, this organization is primarily focused on helping uh, people who have been formerly incarcerated or people that come from, um, you know, lower economic status and whatnot, you know, um, get into software engineering for the first time. Um, and this is web developers. This is iOS developers, uh, Android developers, backend developers. You know, some some of them you know, are coming into uh, underdog devs having no idea what that means, right? So, you know, coming in saying, I, I think I want to get into software development, um, 
that's what I've got, right? That's, 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 that's step one, right? And, and so um, we can help mentor them uh, from there, right? And we kind of find their, their, their spot in that. Um, so we have, um, uh, you know, mentors of, of all of those different genres, uh, all those different backgrounds, and, and we can help uh, mentees as they come in, um, in in different ways, right? We have uh, a whole thing called uh, Project Underdog, which is a stipend program where we take people who um, do know how to, to do some software development. These are people who are self-taught. Um, and we, we normally aim for people who, you know, maybe they've been self-taught for about six months or so, right? So they, they kind of, they've got their feet wet. They kind of know what they're doing a little bit more. Um, so we're not quite taking them from zero to hero, but we, you know, people who have put the time in, um, but they need a little bit of extra help to kind of, to finish it off. Um, and so this is called Project Underdog. It's part of Underdog Devs. Um, like I said, it's a stipend program. We take them. Um, and one of the hardest parts about kind of getting that last bit, those last couple months is if, you know, you are working, uh, you know, full time and, and, you know, it's going to be hard to really dedicate that last little bit to get really prepped up for interviews. Um, especially in an industry where those interviews aren't necessarily just about, you know, raw programming skill, but also about, um, computer science knowledge, perhaps, uh, algorithmic and data structure, um, you know, problems that don't necessarily come up in, in just learning how to do, um, you know, iOS development and learning how to build a uh, React website, right? Like um, you can learn how to build a React website that's nice and pretty, um, but can you, um, you know, the classic reverse a binary tree, right? <laughs> it's not necessarily the same skill set. Um, and so we take these uh, mentees in uh, with Project Underdog uh, on, a, on a cohort basis. And so that happens every about three to four months. Um, so it's a selection process that you've got to apply for. And, and we help them out with a stipend program uh, where we, we essentially, we pay them to continue learning. Uh, we have um, hourly programming sessions, one-on-one uh, -on -one with a mentor um, that you had to, that, you know, that the mentees have to adhere to. Um, so that's about five hours a week, right? We do that, you know, uh, we normally try to aim Monday through Friday, uh, one hour a day. Um, and the other 35 hours a week, they can uh, continue learning at, at, a, at a great pace. Uh, we have a lot of resources that we provide. Uh, Udemy courses, all that kind of stuff, and um, and so the the goal is for the last you know forty hours a week for the last several months they can they can really focus on on honing their skill and get ready for interview prep. Um, you know, at some of the, the you know big companies and, and small companies and, and all that. Um, and so outside of Project Underdog, uh, we've just got uh, mentors that uh, still sometimes do pair programming, and we've got study sessions, and we've got uh, again tons of resources. And things like that to to really help um, people you know, get into the, the world of software engineering uh, again, whether that to be web development or server development, um, iOS development, Android, all sorts of different things. Um, and this was uh, all started by um, a great individual. His name is uh, Rick uh, Rick Walter, and he's um, amazing. I've known him for for several years now. Uh, he's actually an iOS developer. That's how I got to know him. And uh, and Project Underdog was was really uh, helped to be spearheaded. Um, uh, by by someone named Jessica, uh, and she's also really great. So, um, just just a, a really really good set of people. Uh, we we could probably have a whole episode just talking about just underdog devs. So because there's there's a lot to go through. So, so this is fantastic. I mean, this is you know this this touches um, very closely with, with with some of the the work that I do, and uh, you know th this is great because. What I always love to hear that there's projects out there that are focused on helping people 
get into these things when they have no clue how to start or they're looking at it going, I don't think I can do this, you know, and and I think, you know, as I always say, and I think most of us always say is, no, no, anyone could do this, you know, it, it may seem daunting mm-hmm. from the outside. And so to also, um, you know, take groups of folks that, is, you know, have um, some situations the 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 rest of us have not had to deal with and and to have that on top and then want to you know makes this challenge that much harder so you know i think it sounds like a fantastic project and i love uh this idea of the mentoring and and you know getting them used to really things that they will encounter should they choose to do this as a career right you know, I think, mm-hmm. you know, as we all say, or at least everybody I know says, uh, you know, when it comes to programming, making applications, these are very binary things, right? You, we, I believe anyone can do it. Uh, I think that it's just a question of how you go about doing it. But ultimately, they are attainable goals. But that path mm-hmm. for everybody can be very different. And so to have a mentor that can help you go down your own personal path, I think makes it a lot easier to get to that end goal and keeps you motivated to keep doing that. Yeah, the project is great. Uh, and we do every, everything we can to, to help these people, uh, everything from mock interviews to, to resume building. Um, it really is one of those um, things that uh, I think a lot of people can take for granted. Um, you know, like you said, even even some of the soft skills. Um, you know, if, if people go through, you know, kind of a, you know, a more typical path into software engineering, uh, you know, go through university and things like that. You know, a lot of these things are just kind of, um, you know, they're just kind of included, right? And well, okay, well, you go through uh, maybe a whole, you know, resume building, you know, uh, course at university, perhaps, and and you have peers that can help you, um, you know, do X, Y, and Z, and and you, and you, you know, you you do all this stuff. And um, there's a lot of people that don't that don't have that, um, and and it can be very intimidating, and it can be very easy to kind of like you alluded to, uh, it can be very easy to, to get up or give up once you um, once you kind of hit you know one too many brick walls, right? Um, and uh, you know there's only so much that Stack Overflow can give you, um, and so it, it really is a great community, and it, uh, we're in the fourth cohort now for Project Underdog. Um, okay. And so I'm with my my fourth mentee now going through that program. Uh, but it's been great to see uh, all the previous mentees. Um, I'm not saying that it's not been great to see my, my current mentee as well. He's doing fantastic. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it's not a bad how I phrased it originally. Um, but uh, it's been great, though, to see the, my, my previous three uh, mentees, you know, go through the program, uh, get better and better with every week as I, as I meet with them. Um, go to the the interviews that they go through get their jobs and then eventually get into the careers um i still try to check in with them at least you know once once every month or two um and they all seem to be doing great and so that's just it's just genuinely great to see them them succeed in that way um because i don't know to what extent they would have had the same opportunity without without project underdog and without underdog devs right um yeah you know, there's a chance that they could have done just as well. And there's, there's an equal chance. I think that they, they wouldn't have been able to, to attain the goal that they were trying to do. Um, and so it's just, I think it's, it's a great thing um, to see. So, and, and I hope that we can continue doing the, 
uh, the cohorts and, and, and project underdog and, and just keep the underdog dev community in, in general alive as much as we can. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And I think, you know, like you say, you know, uh, each person's going to take from it, you know, however much experience they do, however much knowledge. Uh, but I, I do think that, you know, even if it doesn't work out as as well as they'd hoped, any knowledge that they take from that still helps them moving forward. So, you know, to, to your point of they could have could have gone a different route, done some courses or something like that. Maybe they would have got to the same spot. Um, maybe they wouldn't. But either way, you know, th this extra knowledge that you've given them and the fact that as well, you know, they feel that other people are investing in their time and, and focusing to help them get where they need. That goes a long way from just reading something in a technical book that's like, oh, great, I know how to do a fallen, yeah. you know. But doing it with somebody else is I learned how to do a for loop and have an interaction with someone on how to discuss mm -hmm. these technical topics at the very least, right? Mm -hmm. Plus the, the fact that, you know, having someone just being there, you don't feel so isolated when you're doing this at home or something like that. And then, mm -hmm. like you say, the mock interviews, you know, something like that is, I think, priceless. When you don't know, that's very non-intuitive going into it. If you don't have a support system to tell you, no, 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 this is what the interviewer is actually looking for. Um, it's 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 not very obvious, perhaps. And and so it's uh, it can be very discouraging um, for, for people to get into this industry going through interviews, especially if they have one or two bad interviews. Yeah. Um, it could be very easy to just give up at that point. You know, uh, if you have someone who's trying to learn uh, the ins and out of, of iOS development and they, they deep dive into, you know, uh, Codico and, and they get all these, you know, Codico books and they go through some of the, the things. And they're very practical, right? You know, Codico being the the, pre, you know, the new name for, for what was Ray Winderlich. Yeah. Fantastic um, resource. You go through yeah. there. Oh, absolutely fantastic. But they're also very practical. Right? So mm -hmm. they're going to teach you how to build things. They're not going to teach you computer science. They're not. You know, maybe they have computer science books. I don't know about, but but they're really going to focus on the practical. So if you have somebody who's trying to break in this industry, they really focus on those kinds of resources, and they get into their first technical interview, and you know potentially the company that they're interviewing for is really going to focus on uh, solve this more you know computer science style question. They could completely be caught off guard and decide this isn't the right industry for them and give up. And they might need a support system to tell them, wait, 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 that maybe just wasn't the right interview for you. Or maybe yeah. there's actually only a couple course concepts that you have to learn and then you can get back to interviewing. Yep. Um, so th that's where um, a support system really makes a huge difference. And uh, one of the things that we really focus on at, at Project Underdog with our new mentees is, you know, uh, focus on your core learning, whether or not that be iOS engineering or Android or, or web, like focus on your platform learning kind of on your own and focus on your, um, your kind of more data structures and algorithms. Uh, you have to do that on your own some too, but, mm. but really focus on that uh, with your, your mentors because that one-on-one -on -one programming session, that's really valuable time where you can really kind of, you know, you know solidify and, and make that more concrete. Um, yeah. That way you get a, the best of both, right? Uh, you don't really neglect either one. Well, that's great as well because, you know, the, 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 the side win there 
is that they're also, you know, without realizing it, they're learning that skill of, of, of self-management, right? You know, figure mm-hmm. out what you need to do now, figure out what you need to do later on yeah. by yourself. All right, Richard, thank you so much for joining me. We we have barely scratched the surface of, of topic. I'm sure the listeners and viewers are going to appreciate it. Uh, certainly the responses I always get is that they love it when folks come on and share their experiences. Please, uh, we'll put it in with everything in the show notes, but please tell everybody uh, where they can find you and uh, you know where, where they can find your apps. And, and, and definitely you need to go play Snake and Simon in the store because that's two classics from my childhood. Well, yeah, well, I appreciate it, Peter. Thank you so much uh, again. Um, I don't really do a lot of social media, uh, but if you do want to uh, you know, find me online, I do have my own website. Uh, it's nothing great to look at, but uh, it's just my initials. So it's rlviii.com. Uh, so uh, you can kind of go there and then you'll, you can find my GitHub from there and then you can find um, links to, to my different apps there as well. But uh, if you wanted to search straight in the app store, uh, the app that we were talking about earlier, again, it's called Really Simple Arcade. Um, and then from there, you can normally find my other apps kind of straight from there as well. Um, that's it. And then and Underdog Devs. Uh, again, it's underdogdevs.org. Uh, that's where you can connect there. And if you're interested in becoming uh, a mentor, you can find the links there to, to, to kind of, uh, you know, hook up with the, the Slack channel and whatnot that we have. Or if you want to be a mentee uh, there as well, you can kind of go through in the application process to get hooked up with the, the Slack channel. Most of the, what we do is, is uh, directly through Slack. Well, again, thank you so much. And and folks, we will put links to everything in the show notes. I, I strongly urge all of you, uh, whether you want to be a mentor or a mentee, go check out The Underdog. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that that is that is just such a great project. I love that idea. Um, so thank you so much. So uh, to the listeners uh, and the viewers, I hope this has been helpful. I, I found it thoroughly interesting. Uh, we could probably go on for hours here, but... Uh, we we got to stop at some point, right? Um, so thank you, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you you can find me and, and everything else at compileswift.com or just compileswift on 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 your network of choice. Um, hoping that I can do more of these because, uh, like I say, we, we find some great folks like Ricky. Uh, that is it. Thank you. <laughs>